Um, meanwhile, the other story that we're keeping an eye on, and this is an interesting one, and we're going to get some insight onto what might be going on here. Today, Russia has announced that some of the military units that had caused so much concern in uh, Eastern Europe were returning to their bases. They'd completed their exercises near Ukraine. So uh, we don't know how many are being withdrawn, how far they're being withdrawn, how it affects the buildup of over 100,000 Russian troops in the region. But um, it seems to be the opposite of what we've heard over the past several days, which is the march to war and an attack is imminent and possibly as early as Wednesday. So let's get some details. We're going to chat with Marta Ditchuk, who is an associate professor in political science and history in Western's Faculty of Social Science. Uh, Marta, thanks for joining us again. Good to chat. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay, so what's going on? What's this latest news uh, from Putin and Russia saying, hey, we're going to pull back. We're going to... I mean, what's happening? What, what's your assessment? Well, as you said, the announcement came that Russia is pulling back its troops, and also Russian president is talking with the German chancellor. So those are the big picture stories. What in fact is happening, we don't really know, because Ukrainian sources are saying we don't actually know that they've withdrawn their troops. They could simply be moving them and leaving the equipment behind, which would allow them to uh, be back there very quickly. So this looks like just another tactic on the side of Russia. The key thing to watch here, though, is what's happening in the diplomatic talks. And everybody's interested in a diplomatic solution. First of all, Ukraine, Mm. but everybody else as well. But the question is, what is being discussed and what sort of terms are going to be proposed? And here the devil is in the details. Because the basis of this, and let's not forget the two the two countries that are being very active now in diplomacy, are France and Germany. Yes, and these are the two countries that were involved in creating the framework for peace called the Minsk Agreements back in 2014 and 2015, and those agreements have failed, and yet they're still being used as the basis for the current talks by the same two countries. Okay, give us a a, a Coles Notes version of the Minsk agreements and how they failed. Yes. Um, When Russia launched this undeclared hybrid war against Ukraine, um, Ukraine was on the receiving end. And so they were very interested in negotiating, first of all, a ceasefire and then an end to the conflict. Russia's narrative from the beginning and to the present is that Russia is not involved in this conflict that this is a civil war crisis in Ukraine, whereas, in fact, they're the ones that triggered the war and the ones that are supplying the armaments and so on today. So that's the first part, that they presented themselves as a mediator in this conflict um, that is between Ukrainians, which is a false narrative. Okay. And... What they are now trying to push through, and the the agreements are ambiguous because they were signed, you know, at the barrel of a gun. Ukraine was basically forced to sign certain things, which they did. Um, And then they went for a second round. And the key question is, what's going to happen to those territories that are currently occupied by not that Ukraine doesn't control? So Russia says these are independent republics. Yeah. And Ukraine says, this is our territory that you have taken. And interestingly, Russia's parliament today 
tabled a, a law to declare those two regions independent republics, which would give them some sort of right to participate in the negotiations. Because what Russia wants is they want elections in those areas that they now control, and those elections would give them an instrument to influence Ukrainian politics. And Ukraine is saying we're not going to have elections until there is a complete withdrawal of troops by both sides, and then international observers go in and then have an election. And Russia is saying, no, we have to have an election now, and then we will de-escalate. What is the action? I mean, what is your assessment of what the situation really is? I mean, we keep hearing, you know, some people in the West saying, oh, they're going to attack on Wednesday. I mean, they're being that definitive. And then you hear from some Ukrainian officials saying, nah, we're not there. I don't think this is going to. I mean, what is your assessment of how how close we are to an actual conflict kicking off? Well, as I said before, we don't really know. The yeah. only person who knows is Putin because he's the one who's going to take the decision either to attack or withdraw. The intelligence that Americans and other countries are working with, we don't see that either. So all we have to work with is their statements. Yeah. And uh, Ukraine also has their intelligence. And what the Ukrainian position, as you pointed out, has been not always in step with what the American intelligence is saying. So it's really hard to figure out what is actually going on. Yeah, and I guess we have to wait and see, and unfortunately that's not a a situation any of us want to be in. Well, the good news is it appears that the tensions have dropped somewhat. Today. Today. Yeah. And being in contact with my colleagues in Ukraine, that is a huge relief. Because people have been extremely nervous uh, because they're hearing these reports that you're going to be attacked on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. And people, like my former PhD student, he has a two-year-old baby, and he's thinking, how am I going to get my baby out of here? Jeez. Um, so that tension today has lessened. But what will happen tomorrow? We'll just have to wait and yeah, see. Nobody because knows. This is not over. And um, I think it's in Putin's interest to prolong this, to make Ukrainians stressed and tense. And, also, and that also has a very negative impact on the economy, which Ukraine is already feeling. So his ultimate goal is to make Ukraine a failed state so he can reassert control over it one way or another. And economic disruption is one instrument for achieving that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Boy, what a situation. Uh, Marta, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us and giving us some insight and some clarity. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll chat again. That is is, uh, Marta Ditchuk, who is an associate professor in political science and history at Western's Faculty of Social Science. And as she said, there is some good news or uh, the glimmer of some good news, possibly, uh, and uh, at least an easing intention. But it's certainly not an end by any stretch of the imagination.